We are in Mark chapter 3 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 21. I'll read those for us in just a minute. But before I do, just a quick recap of where we've been and an overview, a little preview of where we're headed in this passage. Uh, If you remember from last week, Jesus had just healed a man with a withered hand in a synagogue on the Sabbath, and that was the fifth of five conflicts that Mark records in uh, the early part of Mark's gospel, in which the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were looking for opportunities to uh, trap Jesus, doing things that violated their law, not so much violated God's law. And by the end of chapter, uh, verse 6 in chapter 3, you have the Pharisees and the Herodians, which are two groups of people that didn't agree about anything, suddenly agreeing that the one thing that they could work together on was finding a way to destroy, the text says, to destroy Jesus. And so that's where we are right now. There's this great crowd of people that are following Jesus. There's this, this moment of conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And now the Pharisees and the Herodians are, are gathered together trying to pl- find a way to kill Jesus. And then our text this morning begins with Jesus and his disciples withdrawing to the sea. That wasn't a withdrawal in the sense of while we're losing. It's withdrawal in the sense of we don't want people thinking that we're here to do something that we're not actually here to do. We're here to proclaim and inaugurate and demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of God, not try to overthrow the Romans and cast them out. And so they withdraw to the sea where Jesus is going to continue to minister to people. So Jesus and his disciples go to the Sea of Galilee. Mark tells us, we'll read this in a minute, that there are people coming from a a wide range of places. It's just a way in in referencing all these geographical areas to show that the the message is spreading. And now people are coming from, beginning to come from distant lands, including some from Gentile or or non-Jewish lands. So a little preview of where the gospel is going to go in terms of its worldwide advance. And then you have a crowd that forms here, right? A crowd follows Jesus. And Mark tells us that the text was, that the, that the people, the crowd was pressing in on Jesus. They came with real needs. They were sick or they had, they were possessed by demons. And they had heard that Jesus was doing things that could lead to them being healed. And so they went after Jesus as well. We're going to read in the text how Jesus went up on a mountain and called those whom he desired to himself, and all who he called listened to him, and and from among the people that he called, he appointed twelve. These twelve would be his disciples. Here they're referred to as apostles, which just simply means sent ones. And he's going to send them out to preach the good news and to do the good works of the kingdom of God. And then Mark's going to tell us that Jesus went home and a crowd's going to gather there as well. And, and we're going to learn there for the first time that it's not just the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were trying to figure out a way to stop Jesus. His own family was questioning his sanity. And they were trying to find a way to, uh, to interact with him and to stop him as well. So as we look at this text we're going to read together, what do we need to see? I think what we need to recognize from this text is the way it tells us what a Christian really is, the way it shows us what it means to be a Christian. Many in the text, you know, Mark tells us, many were coming because they heard what Jesus was doing, but, but few were listening to what he was saying. And a Christian is someone who listens to Jesus, who really hears his call. And so we need to ask ourselves as we read this text, am I one who listens to Jesus? Am I really 
listening to what he has to say. Do I agree with, with Peter? In, in uh, John chapter 6, Jesus asked Peter, you know, will you go away as well? And, and Peter says, kind of speaking for all the disciples, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So to be a Christian is to listen to Jesus. To be a Christian is also to spend time with Jesus. So, so Jesus calls these people, these followers of him, up to him. He, he appoints 12. He has the 12 stay with him, be with him, before he sends them out. We know from the rest of the New Testament that it wasn't just the 12 who were called disciples. We read elsewhere of the 72 disciples that were that spent time with Jesus and were sent out by him. And in fact, we know that anyone who is a follower of Jesus, though not exactly like these 12, anyone who is a follower of Jesus is called to be with Jesus, to spend time with Jesus. Jesus says, abide with me. And so to be a Christian is to not only listen to Jesus, but to spend time with them. And then like these disciples who will be sent out to proclaim the words and do the works of the kingdom, in our own way, so too are we and every Christian called to go out speaking the words and doing the works of the kingdom of God. So I think we need to see ourselves in the crowd this morning. As we look at this text, we need to ask, where do we locate ourselves? Are, are we among those who have come to Jesus because we heard about the kinds of things that he does, but don't really listen to the kinds of things that he says? And are we people who would go up on the mountain with Jesus, having heard him, in order to spend time with him, and then having spent time with him, are we those who will go, who will hear the call to go proclaim the words and demonstrate the works of the kingdom of God? So having said that, let's take a look now at the text. We're going to read verses 7 through 21 of Mark chapter 3. Hear the word of God. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. This is the word of the Lord. Let's turn to God in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this morning. We do pray that you would use uh, this word by the power of your spirit to show us what it means to be a Christian. Lord, would you make us people who gladly listen to you, who eagerly seek to spend time with you, and are ready and willing to go out 
proclaiming the words and doing the works of the kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So three things we're going to see from the text this morning concerning what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who listens to Jesus. A Christian is someone who spends time with Jesus. And a Christian is someone who is sent by Jesus to bear witness to him. So those are our three points. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who listens to Jesus, someone who spends time with Jesus, and someone who is sent by Jesus to bear witness to him. So first, a Christian is someone who listens to Jesus. And we saw that in the first part of the text. There are people that were coming to Jesus with real desperate needs. They heard what he was doing. This doesn't tell us about people that we read about elsewhere who were just kind of looking to see great things done. They were kind of there for the show. Kind of observers, kind of liking what they were seeing. You know, they didn't have Netflix then, but they had Jesus, this wonder worker who was doing these awesome things, and so they wanted to watch him. That's not this. These are people who are coming because they're sick. They're coming because they are oppressed by demonic forces. They're coming because they have an acute sense of their need, and they're hearing that Jesus is one who heals. And so they come to Jesus because of what he is doing. The other thing I think we need to realize is that this gives us a beautiful picture of the fact that Jesus cares about the whole person. It tells us that he heals many. A big part of his ministry was healing and casting out demons. So Jesus is not uh, uh, the Son of God who came only to save us in a spiritual sense and cares nothing about our physical bodies or our minds or the, the brokenness of this world. Jesus came to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. And the curse extends to our bodies and not just our soul. And so Jesus is healing diseases, but he doesn't heal everyone. He hears, heals many. As we read the rest of the accounts, we know that there are some that he doesn't heal. And that's a hard question to wrestle with. Why? Why wouldn't he heal everyone that he comes into contact with? Why wouldn't he want that to happen? It seems like that would fit the story that we would write for Jesus. And for some of these people who went away, they went away discouraged because Jesus wasn't doing the things that they thought would best fit the story. They were writing for themselves. What they didn't recognize is that Jesus was calling them into a better story. Jesus was calling them into his story. What they weren't hearing was that Jesus was coming and doing the things that indicated that the kingdom of God was breaking in. Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 tells us that Jesus was come, had come to, to heal the sick and to free the prisoners and to, and to give sight to the blind, not as an end in themselves, but to give a preview of what was to come when the kingdom of God was fully established on earth. Jesus was speaking a better story. And he was inviting people into that story. But these people as hurting as they were, and as much as we can understand it would make sense that surely Jesus would want to heal this affliction, they weren't hearing his invitation to a better story. This is Palm Sunday, and there's nothing, I think, in, uh, well, maybe one of a few things in the history of the world that, that tells us about the great disconnect between a large group of people who had one idea of what the story must be and the story that was actually being told. 
So Palm Sunday, just a, a quick reminder. We don't, this isn't something we just kind of make up as a way to have kids, you know, wave palm branches. This is history. This happened. So a week before Jesus um, died on the cross, the week leading up to that, and then rose from the dead, it was the time of the Passover. And Jesus, again, has this great crowd of people that are following him. And he's making his way into Jerusalem for the Passover. And you also have crowds of people that are coming out of Jerusalem because they have heard that Jesus is making his way in. And so there's this huge uh, groundswell of, of, of the, the room was packed, right? The proverbial room was packed. The room was electric in the sense that everybody around Jesus had this anticipation that he was coming to do something. And that's where the palm branches become significant. There was nothing about Passover that involved palm branches. The palm branches, on the other hand, were actually a symbol of insurrection. So a couple hundred years before Jesus, Judas Maccabeus had led an insurrection, had led an attempt on the part of the Jewish people to cast the Romans out. The palm branch became a symbol of that, res of that uh, insurrection. If you've seen the Hunger Games films, you know that the, the symbol of the insurrection in the Hunger Games was the Mockingjay, right? The symbol of insurrection in this day was the palm branch. In fact, for a time, the Jews were able to establish some of their own currency. And the coins that they established after that time, you know, that kind of that time that they had between Judas Maccabeus and the, you know, crashing back down of the Roman authorities, the coins that they had had a palm branch on them. It was a way of signifying what they hoped would happen, which is the overthrow and, and banishment of the Romans so that they could have their land back. And so here's Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and they're laying down palm branches. It's a way of them indicating what the story was that they had written for Jesus. Jesus, you are coming to lead a revolt. Jesus, you are coming to restore the kingdom of God to Israel. What's interesting is how he entered the city. He didn't enter on a war horse. He entered on a donkey. He didn't enter as a king on a horse coming to bring victory in battle. He entered as a king on a donkey coming to signify peace. There were these rival stories. There was the story that the entire crowd had. They were singing, Hosanna to God in the highest. Blessed be the son of David. They saw in Jesus the king, but not the king the scripture had told them about. And Jesus came showing that he was that king. Not the king who would restore the kingdom to Israel, but the king of heaven who would bring the kingdom of God to earth. And so there on a grand scale is this story and then Jesus' story. The story that people had written for Jesus and the story that he was actually inviting them into. And that was happening here amongst the crowd as well. And what's sad is the way in which it happens for so many even today. We have stories that make sense. A story in which that which is broken in us gets healed. A story in which that which is broken in the world gets fixed. And the story finds its conclusion in that restoration and that healing taking place in our time, in our way with the kind of resolution that we envision it must be like. And Jesus comes offering a better story. 
I mean, think about what Palm Sunday and Good Friday and, and Easter tell us. These historical events tell us about the story that Jesus is offering and inviting us into. Good Friday tells us about the story. The cross tells us that there is forgiveness. That, that, that our sin that has led to our separation from God can be healed. Even if our physical bodies were to be healed, even if our, our minds were to be healed now, and that's all that happened, we would eventually die. We would grow sick, we would get weak, and we would die. See, our story has us reaching only for the things of this earth. And what Jesus says is, I want to give you heaven and I want to give you earth one day as well. I want to give you forgiveness of sin, restoration in your relationship with God, reconciliation with Him, adoption into His family, the promise of eternal life forever. I want to give you heaven. And I also want to give you earth. I want to give you resurrection. I want to give you healed bodies and healed minds and healed relationships on a healed planet. That's coming, Jesus says. In his time. See, our story, again, has us only reaching as high as our vision and our sight would enable us to see. And Jesus is calling to us and saying, I have something far better for you. Will you listen to me? And so, if you find yourself in that place this morning where you've come to Jesus recently, perhaps a long time ago, because you heard about the kinds of things that he does. And then you turned away because he didn't do what you expected him to do. I want to encourage you and ask you to come back to Jesus and listen. Listen to what he is saying. Listen to what the word of God says. About how your deepest longing is found in him. The longing of your soul that no physical healing or physical provision can ultimately provide you find in Jesus. And yet in Jesus you get not only forgiveness of sin, not only heaven, but earth as well. A resurrected body on a renewed earth forever. If you're willing to come back and listen to Jesus, where do you start? And I want to recommend, obviously, spending time in Mark's gospel. Just go back and start with chapter 1 and read all the way through to the end. And continue on from there to other parts of the Bible, wherever you find interest. Just start reading God's Word. There's some other books that I can recommend that, that may be helpful as well. Uh, one book is a book by Tim Keller. The title of the book is Making Sense of God, An Invitation to the Skeptical. So there are so many stories that our culture tells us. So many stories that, that characterize the secular age that we're in. Stories that, if believed, make it impossible or at least implausible, Christianity, uh, implausible. And, and these stories need to be deconstructed so that we can hear the story that the Bible tells us. And so Making Sense of God, An Invitation to the Skeptical is a great book for that. I encourage you to pick that up. Another one, if you just kind of want to look at what the... Remembering that the Bible tells us one story. It's not just a collection randomly of 66 books written over several thousand years. It is 66 books written over seven th several thousand years that tells one story from beginning to end. The story of the kingdom of God. And so a great book to pick up that I'd recommend if you want to better understand this story and where you fit into it is a book titled The Drama of Scripture by Craig Bartholomew and Michael Goheen. It unpacks the biblical story. 
just how do we understand this Bible as the story that it is, and then how do we find our place in it? So those are two resources that I want to recommend that you pick up. I'm sure they'll be posted to our website after this is over. And then, of course, soak in the Word of God so that you can listen to what God is directly saying to you from Scripture as His Spirit works in your heart. What will you find as you do so? You'll find what Christians come to find, even though it's hard to trust, And that is that Jesus always gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knows. That that is the basic and fundamental truth when it comes to our needs, our story, and his story, and that great disconnect. How could it be that his story is better than mine? How could it be that what his will is for me is better than what I could want for myself? What Christians believe and yet struggle to believe is that Jesus does give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. So listen to Jesus. A Christian is someone who listens to Jesus. Let's move on though. Secondly, a Christian is someone who spends time with Jesus. So look down at verse 13. Let's read a little bit here. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So, second thing we need to see. A Christian is not only someone who listens to Jesus. A Christian is someone who spends time with Jesus. Who hears and responds to Jesus' call? And the answer that we get here is the people who listen to and respond to the call of Jesus are those whom he desires. Now, that's a amazing text to consider. And we could spend a lot more than the few minutes that we have left unpacking that. The thing I want you to hear this morning is that whenever Jesus calls anyone, or better said, whenever anyone actually listens to what Jesus says, it's because of Jesus's divine and gracious initiative to speak to us so that we will hear. Jesus says in another place in John chapter 6, All that the Father has given me shall come to me, and none that the Father has given me will I ever cast away. So if you have heard the call of Jesus and responded to him, it is entirely of God's grace, and you can have the assurance that Jesus will never cast you away. He will never forsake you. The call up the mountain, as it were, the call into a relationship with Jesus Christ is a call that is initiated by God and is entirely of grace. It is a gracious call. The Apostle Paul talks about this. He's like 12 times in uh, Paul's letters where he talks about the grace of God which called him. He never talks about his call apart from God's grace. God takes the initiative in establishing a relationship with us. He doesn't choose us because we're lovely. He doesn't choose us because we have potential. He chooses us and then makes us lovely because he makes us like Jesus. Now, you may ask, well, maybe I'm not so sure that Jesus is calling me. You're saying that those who listen to Jesus are those whom God has called. How do I know if Jesus is calling me? Well, our responsibility is to be listening for the call. We're not passive agents. We actively listen to Jesus. And so taking the time to study God's Word, taking the time to go to books like I mentioned, taking the time to talk to other Christians, to seek them out and say, what is this? that you believe. That was part of how God transformed my story. 
There was a time in my life when I had no interest in things of God, and at the same time, the things that I had pursued had led to nothing but emptiness. And it was a Christian that I knew from high school that I called, Jeff. I called Jeff and I said, listen, I remember from high school that you're a Christian. Help me understand why. He recommended some things for me to read, and he had some conversations with me. But at the end of the day, it was a combination of me asking questions out of my sense of desperation and God using people in order to point me to God's word so that I might hear what God had to say. So do you wonder if Jesus is calling you? Take all your doubts, take all your concerns, take all your uncertainties and all your fears to Jesus, and then listen. What does it look like to spend time with Jesus? Well, it it looks like what Jesus describes as abiding in him. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a person abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Jesus is calling these disciples to go and bear fruit, to go and proclaim the words and do the works of the kingdom of God. For them to do that, they must spend time with him. They needed to be with him. To use the uh, line from uh, the author Peace Cazero, who reminds us that our doing for Jesus flows out of our being with Jesus. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples here. And that's what he tells all of his disciples everywhere. Your doing for me must flow out of your being with me. The fruit that you desire to see born and that I want to have born in your life flows out of your being connected in a vital relationship with me. And we need to remember that because so often our doing for Jesus is disconnected from our being with Jesus. Maybe we're like the disciples who were eager to go out and, and uh, proclaim the gospel. And, and there may be that we see ourselves in that way. We're eager to go out and preach the gospel, but we're not spending time with Jesus. How can we, how can we tell people about a person we don't really know? And so our our doing for Jesus when it comes to proclaiming the gospel flows out of our being with Jesus. For most of us, our doing for Jesus just looks like trying to be faithful in the workplace, be faithful in our relationships, our marriage, and and our, our parenting, and our friendships, to represent Christ faithfully in those places. Our doing for Jesus there has to flow out of our being with Jesus, our abiding in him, so that the fruit that he would have us bear in our relationships and in our work It's fruit that comes from him and not fruit that we're trying to produce apart from him. For most of us, this looks like also just this internal struggle with our own sin. We see the areas of our life that that we don't want to be present anymore. We're we're like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. We we see that the, the things that we do are the very things that we don't want to do. And the things that we left undone, the things that we don't do, are the very things, in fact, that we do want to do. And, and we say with Paul at the end of Romans 7, who will rescue me from this bondage of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's not just a once and for all truth that we're told. We come back to Jesus all the time to be reminded that our starting place for dealing with the sin that we struggle with is the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. It's reminding ourselves daily that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And stepping out from that truth... That, that is sealed to our hearts as we are with Jesus into the day-to-day life of wrestling with sin, of doing for Jesus. 
as we abide in Jesus, we see how much we are loved by him. We see how much we are with him. If abiding with Jesus is, is being with him, we get this reminder that, in, that we're actually united to him. He is that with us, and we are that with him. That is your starting point. So if that's what it looks like, how do you do it? And one of the things that we've done over the last few weeks is try to take this trellis, if you will, on which you grow and convert it to a digital realm. And, and by God's grace, we've made a lot of progress in that area. So you can now go to the website. You can subscribe to daily worship guides that can land in your inbox and provide ways for you to continue to abide in Christ in terms of your morning personal and family devotions. Um, their daily or weekly reflections are going to be posted that you can um, you know, come with me to a portion of God's Word and be reminded of truths that are there. There's our daily worship here, uh, our, our Sunday worship here. There's our Sunday night. Tonight we're going to be praying together. You can, you can join us there virtually. It's, it's a matter, though, of taking advantage of this season that we're in to continue to grow in Christ and not think that because so many of our routines have been set aside that we could set aside this one rhythm that matters so much in our lives. So a Christian is someone who listens to Jesus. A Christian is someone who spends time with Jesus. And then third, we'll wrap it up quick here. A Christian is someone who is sent by Jesus. A Christian is someone who is sent by Jesus. I'm not going to read back through the names of these disciples, but if we were to take the time and, and kind of unpack and tell a little bit of their history, what can be known, we would see that they were a really eclectic bunch. I mean, there's a, a really eclectic group of people. You had Simon, who was a zealot, and you had Levi, who was a tax collector. And so you've got there, I mean, think about how far the right is from the left in our culture today. As far as the right is from the left, so too were the zealots and the tax collectors. And yet here they were, united together in Christ. None from among this group was part of the religious elite, the religious leadership of the age. None were Pharisees. So they were an eclectic bunch. They were an imperfect bunch. We're reminded at the end that Judas Iscariot was among those whom Jesus called to himself and appointed as a disciple and sent out to proclaim the message and do the works of the kingdom of God. He would deny Jesus. But all of these disciples would abandon Jesus in the end. Only the women would remain faithful to Jesus. And yet these were a called and a sent bunch they were eclectic, they were imperfect, but Jesus called them to himself and he sent them out to tell people about him. And the same is true for every Christian in every church today. The church of Jesus Christ is a community that is, at its most beautiful, eclectic. It's made up of all kinds of different people, united together in Jesus Christ. The church is a community of people who are imperfect, we all wrestle with the tendency to turn away from Jesus, to not listen to him, to not spend time with him, and to not want to go tell people about him. And yet we are called an ascent community. So the question I want to you know, wrestle with a little bit here at the end as we wrap up is what does that look like in the age of coronavirus? What does it look like for us to be sent out when we can't actually go out and there's just a few ways I want us to consider what that can look like. If, if the disciples went out preaching the gospel 
and, and casting out demons, and we see elsewhere that they were healing people who are sick as well, then we need to ask in our day and age, what does it look like for us to proclaim, to share the gospel, and what does it look like for us to do the kinds of works that will characterize the healing that is coming in the kingdom of God? So a couple ways I think that we can do that now. I think when it comes to the word aspect, the proclamation aspect, it needs to begin with us praying for our neighbors, with us praying for the community around us, non-Christian friends and and neighbors and co-workers, people who don't know Jesus. It's got to begin with prayer, prayer for them. And then as we have opportunity, whether it's on the phone or via FaceTime or, or, um, or, uh, you know, having an, sending an email. I mean, whatever it takes to communicate with them in ways that we can't right now, invite them to view a live stream service. Good Friday is coming. We're going to have a Good Friday Tenebrae service like we normally do. That'll happen at 6.30. Easter service, of course, will be at 10.30. Send them the link to our website. It's 10.30 on Sunday. Send them the link to our website. Encourage them to watch the live stream service. These are people who you may have been wanting to invite to church for so long, but you've realized how hard that is to do. Maybe you at one point remember somebody invited you to church and how hard it was to cross the threshold of that door into the church, to go into a place that you had never been before perhaps, around people that your friend knows but no one else that you don't know, right? And so here's an opportunity to make that much easier for your non-Christian friends and neighbors. They can just watch the live stream. So these are ways in which we can use our words to proclaim the message of the kingdom. But what about the work of the kingdom? Because as we saw here, Jesus cares about the whole person. So what can we do to minister to the whole person? And I think, again, very simple things we can do is call these neighbors of ours, especially those who are at risk because they're immune compromised or because they're older, and simply ask the question, what can I do to help you? Can I run to the grocery store? Is there anything that you need? Can I pick up any meds? And oh, by the way, how can I be praying for you? And men, wouldn't it be great if when this is over, we could share a meal together? So look for opportunities to serve. If you've got little kids, have them draw pictures or paint paintings and, and send them in the mail to this neighbor or drop them off in front of their door. Be creative and look for opportunities to bless those around you. Because in the end, that's what Christians do. They seek to make the kingdom of God visible through their words and through their actions. So what does it mean to be a Christian? What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who listens to Jesus. Give Jesus a hearing if you haven't. Don't walk away because his story doesn't seem to mesh with your story. Recognize that he's inviting you in to a greater story. Remember that Jesus never turns away from us. We turn away from Jesus so frequently. We turn away from Jesus because we do things that are entirely out of line with his best that he has for us. And yet Jesus never turns away from us. He went to the cross and experienced the great loss of his father turning his face away from him that his face might be never turned away from us. Listen to Jesus. Be with Jesus. Simply be with him. Draw near to him. Experience in him the peace that surpasses all understanding. And then go out in his name, speaking the words and doing the works of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder from this text of what it means to be a Christian. Or for those of us who perhaps have 
never really considered what you're saying, Lord, about the story that you are inviting us into, a story that looks like a greater healing than we could ever imagine. Lord, I pray that you would help us to listen. Or for those of us who have gotten so busy, uh, not only over the course of our lives, but especially in these last few weeks, or would you help us to slow down and, and be with you, to abide in you? And Lord, for those of us who are Christians, I pray that you would give us a greater zeal and a greater burden to proclaim your words and demonstrate your works so that people can get a preview of this one story that is true, the story of your kingdom that is coming. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.